Greetings, my friends, and welcome to Hardwater Radio. This is Jason Archer. We're recording under the umbrella of Hardwater One here in the Valley of the Sun. And I'm joined today by my next guest, Mr. James Allen. And today we're going to continue the mission to arm humans with the tools to crush mediocrity, create mastery, and live in total wellness with the gentleman sitting across from me who's now started a podcast called the Fit Focus Podcast. So welcome on, brother. I'm happy to have you here. Hey, man, I'm excited to be here. Thank you very much for uh, inviting me down. I appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate the connection. I think it was uh, Brienne that got us together, yeah. if I remember correctly. Yep, I just uh, dropped her podcast today. Yeah, I was uh, listening to it actually on your way up. I was trying to find some information on you so that I had some fantastic questions I could Jerry Springer you with. But, uh, <laughs> you're kind of a ghost out there on the interwebs, man. I'm ghost in the shell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I know you've got uh, an interesting story, man. You've accomplished a great deal in your life. And uh, I'm hoping that you'd be willing to take us back to the beginning and start talking to us a little bit about what formed the man that's sitting across from me today. Where did it all begin for you? Yeah, for sure. Um, so originally I'm from Compton, California. You know, people, uh, you know, kind of always ask and they give me that look like, what? I remember, <laughs> I remember that NWA song. Yeah. <laughs> so, and a funny fact, I always kind of throw out there too, uh, Eric, he's an E. Yeah. Uh, he used to go to my high school. Oh, yeah? Well, at least he was enrolled there. I'll put it like that. <laughs> <laughs> Attendance was optional, I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I mean, yeah, there was, um, you know, the days of NWA. He used to play over at... Uh, Skateland, USA, you know, off of uh, you know, Compton Boulevard and whatnot. And I was right across the street from uh, Golden Bird Fried Chicken. Did People you, in the hood know what that is. Oh, for sure. Did you grow up, uh, did you know Eric when you were growing up? No, nah, no, nah, I didn't know him. Um, I, th- I probably saw him on campus like once or, you know, twice, maybe, yeah. you know, if that. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, you know, we did have um, quite a few people, although that came out of uh, Dominguez, you know, senior high, right? Um, if you're a basketball fan, Cedric Sabalos you know, oh, yeah. played there. Uh, Tyson Chandler, you know, he's still in the game. Some big names. Yep. Um, produced a lot. I mean, a lot of athletes mm-hmm. uh, came out of there. And so you, you, you said, you know, when people hear the word Compton, you know, you get that little recoil sort of look on their face, right? Like, uh, what do you think the reason for that is? You know, media. Yeah. The sensationalism. I mean, you know, um, I think in my travels, I've, I've been around, you know, quite a few different places and stuff, right? And I remember when I'm first moved to Arizona, I was uh, stationed in Fort Huachuca, um, Sierra Vista, ex-military, jumping around here a little bit. But when I first moved to Arizona and I stayed up in Tucson, I was talking to a buddy about this yesterday. I was talking about, you know, where's the, you know, bad side of the neighborhoods and things like that, you know, you kind of want to avoid. And they always talked about like South Tucson. Right, right. So I'm in South Tucson one day and I'm like, this is it. <laughs> <laughs> this is all you got? Yeah. It was like, okay, it was pretty tame here, but you know, that's pretty. Like I said, a lot of times, just the media just you know sensationalizes a lot of stuff, mm-hmm. you know, for whatever reasons. And uh, yeah, it's funny that you tell that story because uh, I moved out here from the south. I grew up in the south, right? And my one of the businesses that my family was involved in was rent to own. Mm-hmm. So I've been in every housing project, every trailer park mm-hmm. you could possibly imagine between you know, Virginia, all the way out to California and Washington state, New Mexico, Arizona. Yeah. And, uh, same thing when I came here and we were running credit, I had these credit managers that were scared to go into neighborhoods. I'm like, why? <laughs> right. There's, yeah. There's, people just like you. Yeah. There's yeah. nothing, there's nothing. I mean, nothing remotely what I saw growing up in the South or even in California or Washington. Right. It was just so tame, man. Yeah. It's interesting that you had that same perspective. Yeah. And you know, I've, I've traveled, you know, all over the world here too. And, you know, you can pretty much recognize the ghetto. Oh yeah. Wherever you at. Right. You find one. 
you yeah. look for one. I, yeah, exactly. I remember being stationed in Germany, and um, I was uh, our unit was being transferred over to uh, England. And so I'm driving through, you know, I'm driving my car, take it over to the ferry and whatnot. So I had to go through Belgium, mm-hmm. and I made a wrong turn, right? <laughs> I missed my exit. So I figured, all right, I'll just drive straight through the city there and, you know, pick it up, pick up the highway on the other side. Right. This is before the times of GPS and all that stuff, right? So you actually had to use a map. Oh, you're dating yourself now. <laughs> and land now. You know how to use a map? Come yeah, on. Yeah, man. I had to learn it. Well, anyway, still ended up getting lost, right? So as I'm driving through, uh, you begin to like, oh, okay, I'm in the hood now, <laughs> right? You just recognize it anywhere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, for sure, for sure. So was it really like... I mean, forget the sensationalism, forget the BS, right? And all, yeah. the, all the crap that gets uh, thrown in people's faces. I mean, obviously you turned out to be a very good man. So, you know, what was, what was it that shaped you growing up? You know, I think, uh, some, of course, you know, my, I was raised by my grandmother, mm-hmm. right? My mom uh, died uh, very early, you know, when I was about two or so. So grandma raised me. That was mom's. Mm-hmm. So that was, uh, you know, number one influencer. Uh, she worked really, really hard with what she had and, you know, uh, provided as much as she could and had rules, you know, um, went to church every Sunday, mm-hmm. you know, and that, uh, that community there, you know, also helped to, you know, just provide some foundation. Um, so those were two of the biggest, you know, influencers there. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sixth grade, um, in elementary school or whatnot, um, one man I met that provided the biggest influence and shape and change in my life was uh, my sixth grade teacher, Mr. Nyer, right? And um, I don't know, some of you listeners might remember Jack Lane. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All Everybody right. knows Jack Lane. Yeah. <laughs> so the godfather. Yeah. He was like, um, I'm trying to remember, uh, it was before Bally Total Fitness, there was a uh, fitness gym chain that he started. I can't remember the name of it. I don't remember it either. Yeah, right. I remember way before from, my time anyway. I remember from all his promos too, because even later in life, he was, he was promoting different health products yep. late at night. The Jacqueline juicer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, that was, that's probably one of the, uh, that was a big one. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, um, he was a big influence there, but close enough to real life for me was my sixth grade teacher, Mr. Nyer. Mm-hmm. Right. And this dude was a former Mr. Universe, um, you know, bodybuilder, whatnot. And, the thing that, you know, really struck out to me the most was um, him and my grandmother were about the same age. Mm-hmm. My grandmother was, you know, very sickly. She had arthritis, uh, rheumatoid arthritis was like very, very degen- degenerative, um, you know, could barely open her hands up, you know, stuff like that. And always sick, you know, so I was always trying to like look for ways to, you know, kind of help her out, make her feel better, you know, just improve her health. And Mr. Nyer, you know, was the flip side of that coin. Like this dude was out on the monkey bars doing, you know, handstands and stuff like that on the parallel bars, one-arm pull-ups. I mean, he was just like, you know, a circus strong man, right? And like I said, he was about, he was close to retirement. So he had to be like 55, you know, maybe 60, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I'm that young. He looked old. <laughs> <laughs> but I see him out there doing all this stuff, right? And he had this one trick where he would be like, all right, take a look at my hands. And his hands would be like all scaly and dry and stuff. He would take a quarter. Mm-hmm. And he would squeeze it to like three drops of water would come out. What? Yeah. No like, way. and as a kid, you're like, dude. <laughs> <laughs> so totally blew my mind. Right. 
And, you know, back in the day before, and we were just talking about this earlier, before it was cool, um, you know, for teachers to kind of do this thing, mm-hmm. you know, he had a couple of like, you know, his favorite students or whatever. As I'm say- saying this, right, I'm sure some people are going to be getting, getting freaked out. But anyway, <laughs> he had a couple of his favorite students. Um, he would take them out to, you know, Compton Airport. He had a little single uh, seater Cessna, you know, mm-hmm. take us up or I'm sorry, dual seater. So he would take us up. Um, one at a time, flies around the airport, you know, let you grab the wheel. So I'm like, whoa, I'm flying a plane here. Cool. Drop down. Then he would, uh, you know, he took us over to his place. Uh, he had a gym set up in his garage. So he takes the little workout and whatnot. Um, you know, him and his son, he had one of those, like, uh, platform things. This was before, like, box jumps and whatever, right? But he had this, like, uh, platform that he would raise up, and you would just ex- uh, see how high you could jump, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, explosive uh, plyometrics and whatnot. Right. Get a little workout in, boom, take us in, beat us, take us home. Nice. You know, and it was just like one of those experiences there was like, whoa, okay, you can have a garage set up in your gym or a gym set up in your garage, excuse me. Um, Food, I can't remember what he ate, you know, fed us or whatever, but it was good. Just working out, good food. Yeah, it sounds like he had uh, quite an impact on, on you and your friends when you guys were growing up. Yeah. But like you said, like, you know, nowadays a lot of people would probably take exception to you even starting to tell that story where a teacher is inviting a student over to their house, right? <laughs> right. Much less taking them it's up like, in an airplane, right? Red flag, red flag. Yeah. Can you Straight imagine the, the paperwork you'd have to do to like officially let a kid in a, oh in a plane, God. right? It, yeah. It's, it's crazy. Oh, jeez. Yeah, no. It's Not crazy. Either. Now, how did that experience start to shape you as a young man, though? Like, I'm assuming this was probably some of the first times you'd seen someone, you know, do mm-hmm. stupid human tricks, right, on the monkey bars and then, like, take, yeah. you know, take you to this uh, to this garage where you're doing this crazy workout type stuff. Yeah, so, you know, back in elementary there, too, there were a couple of things. So this was during uh, the Reagan era, mm-hmm. I believe. Uh, we had the Presidential Council for Fitness. Oh, yeah, I remember that. I don't know if you remember that or not. I do remember that, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So I think it was like each year you had like these string of, uh, you know, physical fitness test. Yeah, there was like, they, they put out standards. Right. Right, and then you would, I think the highest standard was called presidential, if I remember correctly. I, I forget. Even, yeah. I, I but I remember practicing okay. in my bedroom sit-ups. Okay. Like every yep. night, doing sit-ups so that I could beat the, so I could get the presidential. Yeah. Or whatever it was. I think it was like sit-ups, push-ups, pull-ups. Yes, um, you had a run or something like that too, mm-hmm. maybe. Yeah, maybe maybe a four hundred or something. Oh, I know I couldn't do any pull ups. Yeah. So we also had um, at school this kind of end of the year Olympics, right? So they would take some chalk, make a little track for the hundred meter dash or <laughs> whatnot, um, or hundred yard dash they called it. Softball throw, you know, that was kind of like the shot put. Um, we had relay races and whatever. So like it was a it was a big deal, mm-hmm. right? And I remember, you know, in my earlier years, like first, second, third grade, um, you know, the, the playground was split, right? So you have first, second, third graders on one side and you have fourth, fifth, and sixth mm. on the other side. So first, second, third grade, like he was always like looking up, you know, at all the big kids on the other side of the playground. And he was like, man, I can't wait till I can get to, you know, go do the Olympic thing over there. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, oh man, I remember like to, you know, be practicing the, uh, the softball throw took a big old rock. I'm out there on the playground, threw it, hit this girl. Oh, oh man. Yeah. But the hit her? Oh, dude. Yeah, it was kind of like on the arm or something like that. Did nothing too big, but yeah. it, it was just still like some of those things that, you know, kind of stick out. All the trouble you get into. Oh, yeah. Right. But, uh, you know, we had the swings and we had the monkey bars and, you know, and just recess. 
just that physical activity, right? But you also had that goal, mm-hmm. you know, of the Olympics, right? You know, that you were trying to get to at Marion Anderson. <laughs> That's cool, man. I, I don't think kids even have that anymore, do they? It's, like, a, it's, it's a big, 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 huge problem. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of my, I don't even want to call it a pet peeve, but I think that was prob- that is probably one of the number one fundamental things that's going on in our country right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and with all the problems that we have with, you know, healthcare and gamuts of, you know, depression, anxiety, like whatever you want to put your finger on is movement. Oh, yeah. And lack of movement. 100%, man. I mean, you've probably seen that that video from that school. I don't know where it was located, but I'm pretty sure it was in California where they uh, where they raised the physical fitness standards and they had all these kids going through these different obstacle courses. And it was almost like military training. I think it was put on by Kennedy. I think it was Oh, started. yeah. This is back in the uh, Horizon. 60s. Was it Horizon High School? Yeah, 60s. Mm. Yeah, okay. And these dudes are out doing all kinds of crazy things, right? right. And they're fit, and you can you know you can tell that they feel accomplished because they've actually done the work, and they mm-hmm. feel good about themselves. Mm-hmm. Kids today, man, it doesn't seem like they have the same opportunity, or maybe they have the opportunity, but they're not challenged by their peers or their adults to, you know, to step into that version of themselves. Well, and then you think about the challenge, right? Mm-hmm. So the whole challenge piece, where you know, kids nowadays, everybody gets a trophy, oh god, you know, I don't or yeah. our participation ribbon, or whatever. It's like if you came in first, second, third, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth, eleventh, twelfth, thirteenth, you know, whatever, <laughs> <laughs> right? You're equalized with, you know, whomever was doing that work to get, you know, first and, and, and you know, top three. Right. 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 It diminishes and, the achievement, doesn't it? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I always thought like, you know, second place was the first loser. Mm-hmm. But if you say that now, right, I mean you're you're, you're a Philistine, right? You're somebody that doesn't understand childhood yeah. psychology and, and right. all the rest of it. And people are probably turning this uh, podcast off right now. <laughs> <laughs> We're right not now. editing it out. <laughs> so get used to it. They ain't trying to hear that. <laughs> it's okay if you disagree, yeah. right? That's cool. Yeah. But yeah, so, uh, I mean, what are your thoughts like on the way that shapes a young mind or a young man, you know? Because it sounds like, you know, up to the point where you met this gentleman who started to challenge you in a, in a physical way. Mm-hmm. And maybe that, you know, maybe that was kind of your first exposure to, you know, what, hey, maybe there's more that I can do. Maybe there's more I can take on. Yeah. You know, Mr. Nye just really gave me the idea mm-hmm. of what was possible, you know, and everything else after that was you know, pretty much up to me. Mm-hmm. But it was just the, the, the planning of the idea. And that's kind of one of the things that I don't really get, you know, now in regards to, you know, competition or anything like that. If you take the idea away that, you know, someone can work towards a goal and actually feel bad by not accomplishing it and having that retrospective talk on, okay, well, you tried, but maybe you can try something a little bit different, you know, to help you get to that goal, Mm. right? Um, He just gave me the idea, like I said, that, you know, that and along with all those other influences, it was an environment, it was an incubator, right? So here's one person, you know, that's kind of giving you a little bit of direction. And here's the environment that you can kind of play in, you know, to kind of execute on some of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. Those are those things we just don't have anymore. Yeah. It's uh, it's interesting. I think, especially for young men nowadays, it seems like uh, men in general have been demonized. Young boys are basically being treated like young girls in, in a lot of the, in a, in a lot of classroom settings, so to speak, mm-hmm. right there. Their high energy, their inquisitive nature is treated as outbursts. ADD. And yeah, blah, we need blah, we need to medicate else. you, kind of a thing, right? You're yeah. you're you're one of those toxic males, 
we got to get you under control kind of a thing. Yep. And, uh, I think, I think male kids especially could really benefit from having a male role model, mm-hmm. teach them, you know, how to step into their physicality and how to, you know, think about right and wrong and how you can help, you know, and, and add value to the world at large. Yeah. That, that's a really good point. Yes. And again, it comes back to that environment, you know, that whole incubation period, right? Because there's a lot of things, like I so said, you won't be able to point it at any one thing in particular, you know, that is the number one solve for. But when it comes to, you know, the, um, the brain chemistry and stuff that's going on with kids and like I said, the ADD and, you know, just having that direction, right? So you can have that direction point, but also you need to have that environment that's creating the chemistry, Mm-hmm. you know, in the head, the brain that is, you know, taking a hold of, you know, some of those, uh, negative patterns. Oh yeah. So raising some serotonin, raising some dopamine, you know, just by some exercise and some feel good activities. Um, you know, and yeah, if you happen to lose, okay. Kicking in a little bit of drive, you know, and having someone give you some encouragement of what you can do better. And here's a plan to go work towards that. It's a whole environment. Right. Mm-hmm. But like I said, it has to be a catalyst, you know, so for, you know, any type of building to occur, it's got to be some trauma. OK, so dive into that a little bit for me, because a lot of people are going to hear that, like, you know, you have to hurt in order to heal or you have to hurt in order to advance yourself. Yeah. Well, you know, um, the biggest drivers of human behavior and activity and, you know, kind of getting you to operate in a change pattern is pain and pleasure. Two biggest drivers. I'd say probably 80% of your people are probably wired to operate or move from a point of pain than they are to chase something of pleasure, Mm -hmm. right? So if something is painful and it hurts, and I don't like this, you're going to do something about it. Yeah. You know, pretty quick. So are you saying basically you want to see that as a signal, not as necessarily something that's negative, but it's it's informing you that maybe this is something that you could work on or work toward. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Like say, you know, just looking at, uh, you know, a lot of times in, in just in our medical practice too, we just mask pain, you know, mm-hmm. we'll take a drug for something, you know, uh, whether it's something going on in the head, depression, anxiety, whatever, take a drug for it. But I'm pretty sure like, you know, a lot of doctors don't really go into a deep dive to ask you what's the cause of that pain. You know, what's the cause of your anxiety or your depression or, you know, even kind of talk through that. Right. Right. So, I mean, that's, whole other, you know, bucket of stuff going on with our, our medical practices and things. But like I said, just kind of recognizing what your pain is mm-hmm. and doing the work around that to get through it. Mm-hmm. Right. So if we take that going back to the child example, if you take away all that pain that they can experience through just playing, mm-hmm. we're just talking about playing. Right. We'll pull Alan, Alan Iverson. It's practice, dog. <laughs> talking about practice. <laughs> It's just playing. Right. Right? Right. If Jimmy falls down and gets a little boo-boo or whatever, okay. Yeah. You know, if he gets his feeling hurt because he, you know, came in second place, good. Right. What are you going to do to get stronger? You know, what are you going to do to get faster? What are you going to do to get smarter? Yeah, those lessons, man, I think they're invaluable, right? Like, I mean, if you have, like, in your example where you have some kid who wants first place and gets maybe third or fourth or doesn't place at all, yeah. Now he has to deal with that psychological trauma, to use your word. Right. right? He's got to figure out a way to deal with his emotions. Yep. Right. And I look around, you know, it's everywhere on social media, unfortunately, but you look around at different places in the world. People just can't handle 
the emotionalism that they're experiencing and they play victim, right? And at the end of the day, when you're talking about having an experience, whether you win or lose, you can't choose just to have the good side of it. When you choose into a thing, you choose into 100% of the thing. Right. And that might mean that you come away damaged or wounded in some way and you have to heal from that. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's your victory. And seeing that completion through. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, before it starts hurting too much, you know, people abandon stuff or whatever, you know, just really not go through everything to finish mm-hmm. you know, and be like, OK, let me learn the lesson from it. Painful or not. Let me learn the lesson and then evaluate and see, OK, was it worth it? Right. So what part of of your life did you look? Can you look back on now and you can say, you know what? Hey, I experienced some pain or I, I experienced some trauma in this particular area of life. At what point did you learn to look at that? Like, you know what? I can pull something from this. You know, I can take a lesson from that. Yeah, man, that's a really good question. Never thought about it. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah, never really, yeah, never really thought about it. But, um, you know, so I guess, you know, kind of go, again, going back to Mr. Nair and that whole bodybuilding thing that, you know, he kind of introduced me to. Um, so out of out of high school, I think one of the, the painful things was just, you know, kind of seeing like all this hurt in the community and crime and whatnot that, you know, I kind of experienced growing up. It seemed like every time I turned around, like, we could never have nice things because <laughs> houses right. getting broken into all the time. And it's like, you know, I had a stereo component set that was stolen from me when I was 12. And, mm. and now uh, you couldn't give it away. <laughs> yeah. 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 It was stereos like, huh, what is that? All right. But I just remember like, you know, we could never really have nice things. Right. So it was, um, uh, traumatic for me there and you know just some of the gang neighborhoods I had walked through going to school and stuff I mean nothing ever really like you know seriously popped off mm-hmm. but I remember like family members um I had an aunt that you know lost a boyfriend or whatnot and I remember some house parties we would go to but anyway it was like a, just a lot of stuff that you know was kind of going on I was like at 12 years old I remember asking my son this one day um when he was about 12 I said what do you want for your birthday he wrote down like five things. So when I was 12, the only thing I wanted for my birthday was to get the hell out of Compton. (laughs) So I guess if anything, that was kind of my traumatic experience at that point in time. So uh, by the time I got into high school and graduation rolled around and stuff, you know, one of my partners um, signed up before me. Um, Shout out Clayton, if you're ever hearing this. But he sent over his... uh, uh, not drill instructor, um, enrollment guy, whatever. Recruitment staff, officer? Yeah, recruitment officer. Staff Sergeant Nelson. Came over, knocked on the door. I just kind of like looked left, looked right. And I was like, okay, let's go. Really? It was yep. that quick? It, yeah. Mm. Yep. Never thought about the military at all. Uh, but joined the Army. Served for eight years. Got to travel, see the world. Um, it's not like the Army is now. I had a good time when I was in there. <laughs> <laughs> had a lot of fun. Um Ooh. What was going into that like coming out of Compton, you know, leaving the neighborhood that you wanted to get out of and then you go into this place where everybody's telling you what to do. What's that like? It was easy. Yeah. Yeah. It it was, it was easy for me because I think I kind of looked at it. Thank you. I looked at it and I was, uh, you know, looking back at what was going on back home and then moving into the military. uh, I remember getting off the bus, right? That first experience at basic uh, basic training. Drill sergeant saw all up in your face, screaming at you, you know, blah, 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 all this stuff. And 
they were just dropping everybody, you know, making them do push-ups, coming off the bus, you know, stand up straight, hold the duffel bag, blah, blah, blah. you know, just trying to break you down. And I remember looking around, I was the last man standing, and the only man standing, because so I was like, this is what they do. They are trained to break you down, and that's their job. They're just doing a job, and my job was to not let them break me, mm-hmm. and everything that they were throwing at me, like, I wrestled through high school, track, like, I was good. Like, I actually did my push-ups and sit-ups and, and all that stuff, you know, in preparation for basic training. So when I got in, it was cake. You were prepared. Yep. Yeah. Did you see a lot of the buddies that you went in with? Did you see any of them struggling to keep up? Um, so my one buddy, you know, Clatan, uh, we went, you know, kind of separate, different paths. Um, you know, he went to basic someplace else. I went to basic someplace else. But the experience there and seeing, you know, other kids, you know, from all over the country. Yeah, there was a lot of folks that were struggling. Yeah. I remember, um, man, this one dude, uh, you know, and I always equated, like, size to being strong and, you know, powerful or whatever. I remember some guys that were way bigger than me, mm-hmm. you know, couldn't do a push-up. Really? Carrying all that extra weight? And not a untrained. single push-up. And not even, like, you know, fat, out of shape or anything like that. Just I couldn't do a push-up. You know, just untrained and, you know, muscle in that regards, right? That's really what it was. Mm-hmm. I went on a ramble there. <laughs> it's all right. Yeah. It's your world we're in right now. But the uh, the painful traumatic experience there, like I said, you know, that was, uh, you know, kind of getting out of getting out of that. Mm-hmm. And the Army, you know, just came kind of easy. Mm. So you never had any second thoughts about doing that? You jumped in and obviously you were prepared when you got there. Yeah. Were you, when you finished basic, though, and you started... I guess, I think what comes next, AIT? AIT, yeah, that's yeah. your, uh, you know, your initial, advanced initial training. Right. Not for your, uh, for your job skill. Right. Why did you end up staying in as long as you did? Did you find that you, that Army life worked for you? Yeah. Um, I guess it kind of like went back to the whole, you know, passion around fitness and whatnot. The, like I said, I was kind of sparked with uh, Mr. Nye there. So throughout basic training, you know, there was always the physical fitness contest, you know, that just carried on. Who could do the most push-ups in the barracks? Um, you know, we had a PT test, right? And I think back then it was uh, you had two minutes to do. At my age group, it was eighty-two push-ups, mm-hmm. um, ninety-two sit-ups, and a two-mile run. So I had it down to where I could finish my push-ups, and I did a hundred in a minute. About took me about you know the full two minutes to get all of my sit-ups, mm-hmm. and my two-mile run. I wasn't a runner. Uh, my two-mile was probably at about. 13, 14 minutes or so. I think my all-time best was probably about 12, right? So there was, like, always these competitions of, you know, the physical fitness thing, and you had to meet the standards, you mm-hmm. know, for um, your physical fitness test. And then when I got stationed overseas um, in Germany, you know, had a love for martial arts as well. Bruce Lee, Shaw Brothers, you know, all that stuff, all of, of course. kung fu movies. Of course. <laughs> right? So I finally got my opportunity uh, to start taking Kung Fu. Nice. So again, more competition, right? Um, left Germany, went over to England and then people were like, you know, kind of looking at me going, yeah, you should, you should compete, you know, bodybuilding. I was like bodybuilding. So man, them dudes is 200 plus pounds, you know, can't wipe their ass. That, that's, that's not me. <laughs> <laughs> like that's, that's not me. Right. Cause at the time I think I was probably, uh, so wrestling through high school, I was about 115. Graduated, 120. 
Um, got into the military there. You know, I probably beefed up to about 145. Ooh. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so... Looking at the whole bodybuilding thing, I was like, yeah, no, that's way, 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 way above, mm-hmm. you know, my pay grade. Right. And um, this was in England. And then by the time I got to Hawaii, you know, people were still saying, yo, you should, should get in the bodybuilding. I think I probably, you know, got up to about 150, mm-hmm. you know, at that time. And they were um, saying, yeah, the Armed Forces would be a good show, you know, for you to step into, you know, kind of as your first one. And um, I was like, hmm, all right, I keep hearing it. Let me try it out. So started training for it. Um, got up to about 155, I think, before I cut weight mm-hmm. <laughs> to 151 to make the uh, the lightweight class and won my first show. That's amazing. So you hadn't ever trained for a bodybuilding show in the past. Nope. So, you know, going into this and finally giving in to those voices that are telling you, hey, man, this would be great for you. Mm-hmm. You know, how did you go about setting yourself up for success there? Who did you train with or or what resources were you exposed to? Yeah. So shout out to uh, a couple of partners there, Leon Mackins and had another training buddy there, uh, Tony Wise and Ted. I forget Ted's last name. But, um, yeah, those are just training partners, you know, that we had. Leon, uh, a.k.a. Mad Dog. I met him, I got to tell this story here too, I met him at uh, Hickam Air Force Base in Hawaii. So this dude, he was a power lifter. So I'm working out, he comes in prime time, gym's all crowded, you know, buzz, chatter going on. Leon comes over and I'm just finishing squats and he's collecting 45s, you know, throughout the the gym. (laughs) So he comes over, looks down at me, he's like, yo man, can I borrow those 45s? I look up at him. And his traps all up to his ears and stuff. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, go ahead, dude. <laughs> and he proceeds to like, you know, he's collecting all these 45s. He goes into the middle of the gym, takes a bench there, dead smack in the middle of the gym. Proceeds to put on, you know, four on each side, right? Total four or five. Gets on the bench. This is his first set. He starts warming up, looking around, cranks out 10 reps, racks it. The gym got quiet. Right, you could hear a pin drop. God walked into <laughs> church, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, you could hear a pin drop. This dude racks it back, you know, and everybody just immediately goes back to what they were doing and everything, right? Yeah. So, yeah, that was one of my, my training partners. Um, he was a power lifter, but he had did some bodybuilding back in the day too, right? So just working out with him and Ted, uh, Tony every now and again, you know, and I think I probably trained for I don't know, maybe two, three months for that particular show mm-hmm. that was coming up. And, um, yeah, ended up winning my first one. That's amazing. You know, putting on the size is one thing, right? Putting on the muscle, you know, eating all the groceries, lifting all the weights is mm-hmm. one thing. But then mm-hmm. considering, you know, creating symmetry yep. and considering, you know, the cut for the diet, like where did you where did you go for that? Man, for that, you know, we had Muscle and Fitness. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Flex Magazine, right? Man. You know, would always like, you know, flip through the magazines and whatnot. And, uh, you know, just looking at some of the bodybuilders that, you know, I thought, more closely resembled me or, mm-hmm. you know, a physique that I could attain. So like, um, you know, Lee Labrada, you know, was one of my favorites there because, you know, he was about five foot five or six or so, yeah. I think. But physique wise, uh, Flex Wheeler, Sean Ray, you know, those are some of my favorites. And I was talking about this with um, Robert Farrell there too, right? Asked him, I was like, yo, man, so you just do this thing where, you know, we would like 
cut out <laughs> pictures of folks and put them up on a little collage there or whatever. So yeah, it's probably weird. <laughs> so, you know, just that whole visualization piece there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Flex really had this amazing back. You know, that was like the, just the detail that he had. And, you know, you go to the magazines and just look up different workouts and different programs and stuff. So I would pick body parts of all these different, you know, bodybuilders and stuff and their training techniques and what they were doing. So for like building mass, um, I would look at Dorian Yates and, was Lee, a monster. Haney, and Lee Haney's workout. I wasn't a big fan of Dorian Yates's physique, but, or, or even him as a, as a, as a Mr. Olympia until I saw him on stage, um, uh, in 1996 when he was like up against Flex Willard and, uh, you know, Chris Comey, I think was competing there and there too. Kevin Lebroni, you know, um, like this was going to be their year mm-hmm. because Dorian Yates was injured. Right. He had a torn tricep and a torn bicep, you know, so he was like competing halfway. Right. Mm-hmm. I had nosebleed seats, you know, like people look like ants, you know, down on the stage. Right. But when this cat walked out and you seen him on stage next to everybody else, then you was like, oh, that's why he's Mr. Olympia. Now I get it. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, just his sheer presence, physique, and the hardness and detail that he had going on. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay. Yeah, yeah it's interesting see to see one person in one photo versus yeah. compared to a bunch of people in real life. Yeah. Perspective changes everything. Yep. So after you hit that first show and you came away with that, that victory, man, did you uh, get bit by the bug? Was that it for you? I got, I got bit by the bug there for a little bit. So that was in um, 95. Um, you know, and I was like, all right. And at the time there, too. Joe Weider was, you know, trying to champion getting bodybuilding into the Olympics. Pipe dream. <laughs> yeah. I think I remember something about that. Yeah. I remember he was uh, pushing really hard product-wise. Like, he was pushing, like, I mean, he obviously was a force for good, wanting mm-hmm. to get people to move. But I remember his uh, his name on every weight set in every kid's house across oh, yeah. the world, man. Yeah, the whole plastic <laughs> cement, uh, yeah. you know, weight training sets there and, you know, the, the supplements or whatever he was pushing. Yep. You know, back then, mm-hmm. you know, weight gainer, all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So after you got bit by the bug, what was the next step? Did you immediately start looking for the next competition? Yeah. So I was on this uh, this tip for, you know, trying to get into the Olympics as a bodybuilder. You know, that was kind of like the dream there at that point in time to become one of the best physiques in the world. Because I could see now that, you know, there's weight classes. Right. So I'm like, OK, you know, I could probably win my weight class. Cause right. I just won this. And. The dude that gave me my first trophy was Chris Faldo. Uh, he was the, at the time, uh, Team USA mm-hmm. light heavyweight champ. Or no, excuse me, lightweight champ, right? So he competed at 154 pounds there. So Team USA was this uh, group of bodybuilders that went from each class, and they would compete at the Pan Am Games. Mm-hmm. The Pan Am Games was supposed to be like, you know, the next level up to the Olympics. Right. So I'm following Chris in his career, and uh, I'm like, yeah, okay, you know, Team USA. That was kind of like, you know, what I was gunning for. So I was just trying to figure out the whole bodybuilding thing and, you know, which shows to compete in and all that stuff, which organizations to compete in. Um, you know, wanted to keep it clean and all natural and whatever. So, you know, I was trying to stay in that realm there too. And uh, let's see, so I did a couple of, you know, figuring out the organizations. The, I think at the time, the NPC was still real big. And then there was the NGA, which was a natural or NBA or something like that. Anyway, natural, there was an NGA organization. I can't remember what it stood for. Anyway, it was really, really small. 
Mm-hmm. So I was like, all right, I did one of those shows. One took over all there too. So my head was getting really big, <laughs> you know, at the time. So I'm like, man, I can't lose. Um, did a few of those. And uh, like I said, then, you know, kind of was trying to figure out the pathway. So the NPC was it. Like everybody was competing in the NPC National Physique Committee. And if you wanted to get on as a bodybuilder, right, that was the chosen organization that you wanted to compete in. Mm-hmm. The other reason there, too, that, you know, I kind of wanted to do the whole bodybuilding thing to begin with was just to, you know, market myself as a trainer. I figured, you know, hey, if I could be a walking billboard to show you that I know what I'm talking about, that I could pretty much help, you know, anyone else get in shape or, you know, get their diet together, you know, and change their physique. Yeah, 100%. So that was the, that was the why, you know. Um, the bodybuilding was just a tool and a, and a medium, but the, the real why was figuring out how could I influence a million people. So you were at that point in your life, you were already thinking about influence. Yep. Yeah. It's interesting because you spend, you, as you tell your story, what I'm taking from is you spend a lot of the time of your life in the physical, you know, in the gym, mm-hmm. you know, in the army, in the competitions. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you've got this undercurrent of thoughtfulness. You've got this undercurrent of what you want to create. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about your mindset as you grew as a young man and faced uh, some of the challenges that you went through in the army and then in the sport. You know, were you were you at all aware of how much your mindset was impacting what you were creating or was it more along the lines of staying in that competition realm and just operating from the physical? Yeah, it was. So I think one of one of the things that, you know, kind of detracted me and got me, you know, moving in different directions here, too, is that. The why was to influence, you know, people and help them to um, recognize that they could control their own destiny, right? And through the stimulus of movement, exercise, and all that stuff, you know, eating good food, uh, proper food, and proper being the correct balance of calories and things of that nature there, you know, that you could control your destiny, right, physically. And my belief system then was that, you know, we really are just spiritual beings, you know, enacting in a physical plant, physical realm, and that to enact uh, your mission, whatever that is, you got to do it here, right? If it requires a lot of energy, you better be in shape for it, right? So the physical medium was just really just a matter of whatever it is that you got to do, you know, make sure you gain for it, make mm-hmm. sure you're ready for it. Now, how did you come to that, that way of thinking? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, honest to <laughs> God, yeah, that... Ugh. Um, I think maybe, you know, just kind of, if, if I had to really think about it, maybe church, mm-hmm. you know, um, Jesus Christ as, you know, son of God, and you could break it down, you know, metaphorically and, 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 and whatever else, um, you know, through ego and, and et cetera. But when I think about, um, in the, in the Bible, the Lord's prayer, you know, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. To me, that just really talks about, you know, your dreams and, you know, that vision of heaven um, for a lot of people is like something that you got to maintain or, or, or you achieve after you die. Right. Right. I, I never really got on that thought pattern. Right. Like, you know, having to die to, you know, then have your paradise. 
Yeah, it's interesting that you you have that angle. One of my mentors talks about the same thing, and uh, he uses you know the the idea of Christ as a teacher, mm-hmm. and people came to see Christ speak and perform miracles or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. And you know, one of the things from the Bible I think was you know what I am doing, you can also do. Yeah. Right. So this idea that if you see someone doing great things, there's nothing preventing you from stepping into being the person who can also do those great things. Yep. And uh, when you when you mentioned that nuance from the Lord's Prayer, man, I immediately went to that place because it's true that so many people wait for their reward at the end of their physical being with no guarantee that anything is going to be waiting for them. Yeah. Only the legacy that they leave here. And you talk about, you know, wanting to impact a million lives. You know, so my question earlier was kind of pointing to, you know, where did that come from? You know, as a young man, you know, mm-hmm. what wouldn't you spark that desire to want to change multiple lives in the course of your lifetime? Yeah, I, I think really just kind of, you know, really just kind of came from a grandmother because, um, you know, I was always wanting to help her and to help people. Mm-hmm. Right. Just in general. And, um, you know, this whole physical thing, like, you know, people just, you know, struggling and you know, now walking around as zombies and whatever, like it was just something that I saw that was just so plain to see that, you know, folks were just not looking in the right direction. You know, I got people, you know, asking me now, like, you know, what kind of supplements can I take for energy? And, you know, so I'm like, man, go outside, get some sun, <laughs> you know, walk around a little bit. Right. That'll boost your energy like that. And it's free. Right. Um, it just, you know, seeing people, you know, suffering, mm-hmm. um, it just didn't sit well with me, you know, and where did the thing come from where I wanted to, you know, affect a million lives? I just put that number on it, a million, because I figured that'd be a good start. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say so. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, you know, of course, there's baby steps I got to get to right to get to that number. Right. Um, especially now, because I kind of took a little hey just off and now I'm trying to get it back. But anyway, mm-hmm. it, it was really just about the end goal was just to impact people, you know, um, the number was just a number I just picked, but really the, the means and the goal was just to impact people. So if I can impact, you know, at least one person, you know, every day. And I think about like, like I said, how Mr. Nair did it with me, you know, that was a kid at 11, 12 years old, right. Still in the game, baby. Right. For sure. So as you, uh, went through your bodybuilding career, and, you know, you started to develop this idea that you wanted to change lives and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And what did you do with that? Where did you go from there? Yeah. So that's kind of where, I mean, I think I started getting a little detracted there a little bit because I started chasing that with bodybuilding. And, you know, just in that whole organization, especially with the, you know, National Physique Committee. And, you know, that was kind of like the farm to the uh, to the IFBB. And where it kind of got got away from me is in You'll see this with like any sport, you know, there's, you know, that chasing of the dream, you know, and then other things kind of get swept behind or whatever. Bodybuilding was, was not really what I wanted to do. Mm. Right. Like it looked good. Right. And I thought it would have an impact as far as like, you know, face value and stuff. Um, But it wasn't what I wanted to do. Right. What I wanted to do was help people. Right. So as I started competing and, I was getting higher and higher and up and higher and up. Um, like the, the same kind of wins that I experienced early on. I even took a break for a while. I came back in 2004 after, you know, that relationship, da, 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 whatever. But anyway, took a break. 2001 was the last show I did. And I was always like a top three, 
you know, whatever show I did. Um, took a break, came back 2004, met my now wife, and I decided to compete for another show, right? Dieted for about six days. <laughs> and I, uh, I, you know, I had no intentions of competing, you know, during this time because I had an injury and I was, you know, kind of coming back off of this injury. So I started boxing and, you know, just to get back to my whole martial arts thing. And um, I saw a judge at a gym and I was like, you know, just playing around. What do you think? And get back on stage next week because it was a show coming up. So he was like, yeah, just drop your water, you know, hit your poses, you'll be all right. So I was like, all right, I'll try it. Stone a humbug. Um, I figured if I hit top five, you know, I'd be happy. Mm-hmm. So end up doing that one. I won that show. Um, it was. Uh, you want a show with six days prep? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Some people still after me for my diet for that there. Yeah, <laughs> but exactly. Like, yeah. That was like, what's the magic pill, my friend? Yeah. You know, the, the thing that I did was uh, eggs for like six days straight. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just what's now keto. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I kind of did that a um, little bit for the, you know, about six days straight or whatever. But anyway, they got me on. And I qualify for the USA's, which was the following weekend. And just to kind of put it in perspective in the bodybuilding realm, you know, cats that would train all year, diet for 16, 12 weeks, you know, win a show out here, go to the USA's in Vegas and not even place in the top 15. Right. Right. So that'd be in the DNC uh, category, did not qualify. So I went out to the USA's, did that show. Um, I placed fifth, you know, that following weekend. Then I was thinking, hmm, might be something to this, right? Maybe I can, like, you know, really get down and, you know, do this and uh, do very, very well at it if I put my mind to it. Mm-hmm. So I got a trainer, you know, trained with him for a year, did it again in 2005. I placed six lower. I was like, all right, scratch the trainer, going back to my stuff. And I started training with some other dudes, uh, Scott Stevenson. Another cat I won't really name right now, but I started training with them, and yeah, I think uh, the next following year, um, I that was 2006 was my last show. I placed uh, fifth again, mm-hmm. right? But I had grown substantially in size. Um, I think when I competed in 2004, I was probably weighing about 164. Yeah, and by the time I did it in 2006, I weighed in at 174. Wow, amazing, man. Yeah. Amazing. But I was chasing the bodybuilding thing, mm-hmm. right? And kind of going down that path, it was uh, very selfish. Selfish in what way? So my son, um, at, at the time there, like, you know, just kind of like getting on that whole chasing that dream down, it was, you know, full-time job eating, you know, six meals a day and the amount of food that you had to eat. It was like 5,000 calories, you know, a day or whatnot. And then for, for me to really kind of get after, you know, what I wanted to do and go pro, right? Now it was me chasing the bodybuilding thing, and it was about going pro because I, I saw I had an opportunity of doing that. Um, it became everything about that. So for me to do really well and get that pro card, I would have to be a light heavyweight, right? Uh, tipping the scales at about 198 or so, right, from where I was. It maybe. You know, at least, like I said, maintaining the quality, but just being bigger. A lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of food, right? I remember prepping my first meal, and it was equivalent to what I would eat all day now. Really? Yep. Wow. First meal, 
one meal, and I had to eat like that six times a day. Mm-hmm. That, as well as uh, the time away from you know family, right? So we had a park right up the street. Son was playing football. You know, he wanted to go out and run some routes or whatever. You know, we get out there, toss the ball around for about five, ten minutes, and I'm like, okay, man, I got to go back home and eat. Mm. You know, just stuff like that. Right. And it was also looking at the return on the investment, like the amount of food and the amount of training, not to mention, you know, time away from family and, you know, just kind of chasing down this dream to become a pro bodybuilder. Right. And once I got there, right, then what? Am I going to compete as a pro? What kind of prize money and stuff like that am I really winning? So everything just started being about that. And it was not about the why. Mm. Why what I wanted to do, and why I wanted to, you know, have that physique to have as a marketing medium, right, was just to, you know, be a light for people and right. kind of like guide them and show them that, you know, hey, I could help you in that regards too. But what I was missing was from the bodybuilding side there, for me, a lot of times, you know, unless you are about that life, you know, 99, 98% of the population, they ain't about that life. Nobody wants to, you know, be running around in, you know, a uh, uh, string tank top <laughs> or whatnot, you, you know, with muscles all over the place. Right. You know, they just want to look good, you know, in a suit. Right. Right. You know, it, it didn't have to be to that extreme. Sure. So it sounds like it was taking you away from your mission or yeah. you, and to use your word, your why. And so at that point, is that when you started thinking about, you know, going a different direction, spending more time with the family? and Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, a few things happened. Uh, so 2006, right. That was kind of like the time frame, you mm-hmm. know, it was kind of happening with the economy then. Now, were you living in, in AZ at this time? Yeah, I was in Tucson. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. So what was going on with the economy at that point in time? Um, you know, we had that way to the crash right oh, yeah. so we were still climbing up climbing that hill um and i think i was chasing the bodybuilding thing there i was still doing some personal training you know a couple of different you know places and whatnot um i had one of the the, the uh, gyms that i used to train at you know they had sent their accountant out to me it was like yo we're looking for a general manager or something like that right and um i was like okay yeah i'm open to it and went and met with the folks and then it turned around that they were lo- really looking for an owner operator. Mm. I was like, okay. They were wanting to sell? Yeah. Okay. And I talked to, it was a husband wife team, talked to the husband, and he was like, you know, yeah, fire sale, 700. I was like, really? Okay. Now, I didn't have 700 in my pocket, but I did have some clients that were pretty well off, mm-hmm. you know, and that were, um, you know, had expressed that if I ever came across an opportunity, they would help me out. Right. So went to them. They were like, okay, let's talk and brought everybody to the table. So it was a husband wife team and the wife was like, mm, nah, 2 million. Right? She wanted to change the deal on the spot. <laughs> so, uh, you know, at that point in time, my head's spinning a little bit there. I'm like, what? This ain't even what we were, you know, the guy was talking about. Like, what? whoa, what's going on? So long story short, uh, my guys were still in. They were like, okay, show us the books. They didn't have any books to like really show and, you know, kind of back up or justify the cost that they were asking. For. Sure. So they, my guys bailed out, you know, like, all right, James, you know, bye, peace. Yeah. But I still saw a lot of opportunity in that particular gym, right? It was along the time that, um, let's see, this was 2007. So I picked up a Muscle Fitness magazine. And I'm reading about Andy Patronak and this thing called CrossFit. And this gym was huge, right? 
So how I had gotten this, um, the relationship with these folks was because of when I was training, right? And it was a boxing gym that was their first location. Um, I would send, you know, clients over to do some boxing. Sure. They were, you know, burning calories like crazy and getting in shape. And that was the same thing that helped me with uh, my bodybuilding and, you know, kind of getting on stage there, right? So I was just kind of like, yo, this helped me. Boom, it helped you. And it was turning results. So this was the same couple that initially was going to sell? Yep. So they had a location across town. Um, They had bought another gym uh, that was about to go under. So they kind of came in and, you know, scooped it up. And um, this was the, the one that they were looking for an owner operator at. Right. And, you know, the, uh, so at the time, like I said, CrossFit was coming out. I saw this as a really, really, really big opportunity, right. To start kind of bringing in this new wave of fitness. Right. Uh, they didn't really think that was going to last <laughs> just to put it short. So that was another thing that kind of like, you know, <clears throat> it was another blow deflated me there a little bit. And, um, after a while, um, it was the, the location for that particular gym at the timing that was going on with the, with the economy and stuff like that. And for me trying to be a personal trainer, you know, charging a little bit of a higher dollar amount and stuff like that for my living, you know, it was just kind of like the combination of things just didn't work out. Right. So that was kind of my separation there from fitness for a while. Right. It's kind of like a really bad breakup. So you just walked away altogether. Yeah, there were a few other things that kind of just kept going on. Mm-hmm. That was just like, you know what, y- y'all just ain't getting it, and it's driving me crazy here. So, so what did you do from that point? I mean, I, I mean, you spent so much of your life in the gym, working out, competing. Yeah. You know yeah. what? What came after this? After that, joined corporate. Oh yeah. Yep. I um, suit and tie the whole thing. Well, now with tech, it's pretty much you know remote, so mm-hmm. <laughs> you can. Not so necessarily be boxer shorts and a computer in the house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I started, um, I think, uh, you know, I did the, the vitamin world thing for a little bit, you know, selling supplements. Um, and then I got with um, tech company into it, uh, Makers of QuickBooks. Oh, yeah. Right. Did that for, had a good little run with them. And my wife got a um, opportunity up here in Phoenix. So we basically kind of moved up here. And um, yeah, here I am. Right on. And when did you start uh, your uh, relationship with East Valley? You've been there for a little while, yeah? Yeah, so this whole CrossFit thing, right, kind of going back to that, um, I saw that as kind of like being the new thing that was going to be, you know, taken off. So that was like 2007, um, 8, 9, whatnot. You know, I, I didn't pick up CrossFit till probably about 2013, maybe, or 16, 2016. Yeah, about 2016 is when I first started CrossFit or whatever really getting involved with it, uh, joined across a box and right. you know, all that. Drank the Kool-Aid. Yeah. Bought the shoes. Start, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Get them, you know, net cons and all that. <laughs> um, so started down there and this is probably going to drag on here a little bit here too, but you know, my, so I started one CrossFit gym, but then there was another one that I started going to for the whole competition aspect, uh, because they were training competitors and this, that and whatever in Tucson CrossFit now. Mm-hmm. Mike Mosley remembered me from when I was training at this other gym back in 2007. Uh, I had invited their cadets over, you know, for a workout, the fifth, filthy 50. Oh yeah. And Mike, you know, when I first saw him, he was like, man, I know you from somewhere. 
you know, and he's a sheriff. I'm like, nah, you don't know me like that guy. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm like, okay, where does he know me from? I don't know. But anyway, um, he kind of remembered, you know, took a couple of times for him to see me. But then he finally remembered, oh, yeah, you were the guy that took us through the Filthy 50. So he kind of credited me for introducing him to CrossFit. Okay. And if you know who Mike Mosley is, you know, he went on to win the Masters uh, Games title, right? Fittest man of CrossFit, CrossFit over 40 right. right? in 2014, I believe it was, right? So I, and now owner of CrossFit now and stuff. Mm-hmm. So that was some impact I had there. Um, shout out Mike Mosley. But, uh, yeah, again, that was another piece there that made me go, dang, I missed that opportunity too. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Well, maybe. You know, everything happens for a reason, I yeah, think. Yeah, everything happens for a reason. You exactly. seem to be doing all right these days. Tonight. Tonight. So when we moved up here, um, started looking for other, you know, CrossFit gyms and whatnot, and East Valley had a real big name, mm-hmm. right? So, yeah, I just kind of went over there and checked them out. And, uh, yeah, here I am. Nice. Nice. I haven't had a chance to go down to East Valley yet. I haven't even had a chance to to meet uh, some of the folks that I want to meet down there. Um, um, I know um, August has been in the game for a long time. I mm-hmm. haven't had a chance to come down there and just say hello, but yep. uh, I'm going to have to make a trip down there and do that very thing. Yeah. You guys good. just uh, picked up a new facility, didn't you? Yeah. Actually, uh, helped them move out of the strip mall that they were in, mm-hmm. um, along with just, you know, all of the, the members there. Right. Right. But that was a whole process, you know, oh, picking yeah. up the, the boards and the floors and the rig and all the weights and, you know, all that stuff. Yeah, it's a job for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But he's he's built a really nice facility. there. I think they're, as far as I know, the only CrossFit gym in the Valley that has machines as well. Mm. So it's kind of like another thing there, too, where, you know, with CrossFit, um, with the regional games being taken out and stuff like that. Right. It's really kind of created this whole dynamic of change and what's really going on. Oh, yeah. Right. They kind of think about, you know, back there, too. It's really, as I'm talking about this now, it kind of brings you back to the whole root of the thing, right? The gym that I started in <laughs> had a bunch of machines and weights, and I was wanting to bring CrossFit in there. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> right? So now, yeah. You created it in a roundabout way, yeah. 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 Well, yeah. I created it, but I did have the vision. Yeah. Um. But where, you know, the whole functional fitness movement and things like that, you know, is going, I think CrossFit, you know, really did bring that, um, that uh, a really good catalyst, you know, for, you know, movement, burning calories, community. Mm-hmm. It's another big thing, community there. Um, when I was training, I would create these small groups. And those groups were the most successful, you know, out of all the clients and whatnot that I had. And CrossFit has kind of embodied, like, all of that. Mm-hmm. So... I think their gym is really set up really, really nice uh, to really kind of encompass and, and take advantage of all the changes that's happening in the game and the, uh, the overall, you know, economy of fitness uh, with CrossFit changing the way it has and being able to, you know, introduce some weight training machines and things like that for people to, you know, kind of build that strength safely mm-hmm. to achieve some of those other more difficult fitness movements. Right. Right. Yeah, as CrossFit kind of swung the pendulum all the way the other way. Mm-hmm. You know, we had no machines, no nothing. Yep. You are the machine. We're going to teach you how to move. Yeah. It, it was bound to happen for the pendulum to swing back to the middle at some point, right? It was yeah. almost like CrossFit was rebellion. <laughs> and now now yeah. the rebellion sort of quelled and, you know, yeah. hey, we can marry the two and everybody can coexist peacefully. Yep. Yeah. 
yeah, I think there will be a big uh, a big shift of that happening. Definitely. What do you see happening in the fitness world going forward? Hmm. That's a great question. Um, I think that, you know, some of the, the, the fundamental things that, you know, need to be there, uh, movement with people, mm-hmm. you know, movement with a community of folks like, you know, having worked at Bally's and, and LA Fitness and all the big box gyms, it's kind of crazy now too. even like going back into some of those places. They're super duper quiet, right? Oh, yeah. Everybody's kind of an island onto their own. Yep. And uh, you see people, you know, at least I do anyway, you know, when I'm in there, um, folks are real cautious about, you know, coming up and asking you a question or something like that, right? The animal that's being created there is that everybody wants to be left alone. <laughs> you know, I just want to do my thing. I want you to bother me. But for me as a, as a, as a trainer and, and also as a, as a teacher, uh, I don't mind it. You right. know, somebody's got a question or something like that, and I would often fight myself trying to correct somebody, you know, with bad form or you know, whatever, right? Like, okay, you know, there's a thousand one different programs and maybe they just doing something <laughs> a little different, <laughs> you know? You tell yourself that lie, right? Yeah. You, you know that, you know, that's not the case. Yeah. yeah. Over but, here uh, at the same gym, we have that same sort of thing happening. Yeah. Um, here at the community center, they have the, you know, all the machines set up and mm-hmm. young kids come through there or older people come through there and you see them making you know, really bad, hurtful mistakes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, I've just gotten in the habit where I'll just go up and ask them. I'm like, would you like some help with that? Yeah. Right. And sometimes people are, yeah, definitely show me. I've never been shown this. And, mm-hmm. you know, they're in there trying to do a big compound movement like a squat or something. Yeah. I've never been shown this. Okay. Well, why do you have the bar weighted so heavily? Right. You know? <laughs> it's because that's, that's what they've seen and, you know, that's what they think they're capable of or yeah. what have you. Yeah. Yeah. I, t- I totally hear you there. I've, uh, I've been fired from gyms for correcting other people's <laughs> clients and whatnot. Yeah, it's craziness. You get that ego involved, man, and then, you know, uh, it's crazy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yep. But um, where I think I see the pendulum swinging is that, uh, you know, just really bring, bringing in some of that community, you know, with, you know, just different movement, right? We see it kind of breaking out now with a lot of things. I mean, there's still the group classes for yoga and aerobics and Zumba, you know, People still like that community, mm-hmm. you know, aspect of it, right? And you have the classes and things like that, you know, for a reason. Like, everybody's not going to lift weights. Cool. Uh, it's good to be doing something. Um, you got your, your running community. You got your cycling community. Like, I'm all about anything that is keeping you moving. But more people will tend to do it when they have someone to do it with. Right. Right. And they got some people that, you know, they can kind of have some – sort of accountability too. Yeah, 100%. And it makes all the difference. It's, there's almost like an unspoken competition, but by the same token, there's there's that camaraderie that yeah. comes with being, you know, going through something hard with someone else. Yep. Yep. Yeah, 100%. Orange orange theory, you mm-hmm. know, those popping up all over the places there. So I, I think like the next wave, um, yeah, really it's just taking advantage of that more, right? Mm-hmm. Just, you know, finding ways that you can get more people you know, involved in sweating together. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I just wonder if it's going to be like the global gym movement, you know, from the eighties, right? Like I grew up in the seventies and the eighties and, you know, gold's gym was the thing, right? As soon as Mm -hmm. the gold's gym opened up in town, (laughs) everyone was flocking to the gold's gym, you know? And, uh, it was one of those things where you walk in and, you know, you had peak time, but Mm -hmm. there was always people in the gym and then it tapered off, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. tapered off. And then, um, 
you know, 90s transition, late 90s, early 2000s. And then CrossFit comes around and then CrossFit blows up. You know, now it's sort of peaking and maybe tapering a little bit. Yeah. You know, what do you see around that? Do you think that that's going to be the case with CrossFit or do you feel like it's always going to have a place? Well, I think what we're experiencing and, you know, if I could delve into it, this is way above my, my pay grade here too. But I think what's happening with CrossFit is that um, they, they're really just trying to figure out like how to, you know, spread it globally, mm. you know, too, um, a, as a business, you know, kind of get more impressions and, you know, more, more bodies involved with it and stuff like that. So this whole, you know, change that we've seen, you know, stateside has really been about, you know, okay, how do we manage, you know, inviting some more into the fold? So when, um, I think I, I can't remember, it was maybe, actually, yeah, when I first got involved with CrossFit and people were talking about the Open and all that stuff, I thought I was going to go to the games, filming my first workout. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That was a wreck. <laughs> but I remember, um, you know, just kind of like looking into the whole CrossFit games and Reebok and, you know, doing all that stuff there. And then somewhere along the lines, I caught that their contract was expiring in uh, this coming year, 2020. Mm-hmm. So I was like, hmm, yep, contract expires. Then that's going to open up for a team Nike, a team Reebok, a team Adidas and, you know, whomever else to kind of like start, you know, coming in and, and, and filling in mm-hmm. to, uh, you know, get that major sponsor, you know, spot or spots. Um, the CrossFit games, I think will, you know, still be the major entity, you know, and just have all of these other corporate entities kind of, you know, funneling into that mm-hmm. to produce those athletes, right. uh, to still keep it as some sort of, you know, viable, sporting event and you know then there's you know the 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 one percent right so you got the the crossfit athletes that are you know training to go into the games and all that stuff what's filling the void for regionals uh you'll see a you know great opportunity here too for a lot of entrepreneurs to you know build up their own regional event right sanctional event that's true whatever right and you know they'll probably at it might take about two, a year or two uh, for some kind of pathway structure to be, you know, mapped out to where, okay, if you do this level game, you're kind of about, you know, uh, a level one athlete, you know, this sanctional event around this, this area here, mm-hmm. you do, you know, this sanctional, uh, sanctioned, sanctioned event over here, maybe like a Wadapalooza or Granite Games or something like that, you know, you're kind of like a level two athlete. Um, so I think they'll start to see like different levels Mm. you know, that are feeding up to, you know, um, the level of competition needed to compete at the games. So you see more like local events happening? Yep. More farm team type stuff happening? Yep. So what do you think about CrossFit as a sport overall? You know, and a lot of people who come, you know, from sport and mm-hmm. take a look at CrossFit and, you know, they don't really see it as a sport. Yeah. Um, I think CrossFit has an issue with its definition of fitness. Yeah, yeah. Just because... Uh, you know, like uh, the, the way that they define it is more work and less time, mm-hmm. right? But they're not really measuring work. They're measuring completed reps. Mm. You know, if, 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 if me and you are doing a thruster, mm-hmm. I'm going six inches higher mm. at the top, right? So I'm doing more work on each rep, but you're probably going to finish faster. Yeah. So, I mean, like if you, you're talking about just quantifying like, you know, straight up uh, wattage. Yeah, like they're just using their definition, right? Like right. their definition of fitness is your ability to move yeah. weight over time. Right. Right. Yeah. 
this is something there. This is a great question. Great topic here. So I've always kind of like, you know, gone back and forth with that, you know, between different pieces there because yeah, wrestling is a sport. Track is a sport. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the uh, karate tournaments and things like that, you know, they used to compete in those were sports. Um, I got the bodybuilding. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I'm competing against other people, but it's kind of subjective. It's very subjective. Yeah. hundred percent subjective. Yeah. Right. I ain't doing nothing for time. I ain't even lifting no weights on stage. Is this a sport? <laughs> right? I can say that being a, you know, former bodybuilder. Right. Powerlifting. That was a sport. Like you either put up the weight or you didn't. Mm-hmm. To your point of, um, you know, who's doing the most work. Mm-hmm. I competed in, in powerlifting in a weight class, uh, you know, 170 pounds or so. You know, you either pulled the weight up or you didn't. Uh, against a guy that was, you know, six foot, 200 pounds. Right. You know, so the comparison between the different weight classes and stuff like that, you know, you have those breakdowns between different different sports. Mm-hmm. Think about like... Um, but CrossFit doesn't have that yet. CrossFit doesn't have that. Yeah. Yeah. The UFC, you know, really started opening up the gate when they went from true unlimited, you know, fighting championships, right? Back Total mismatches. Days, like, yeah. <laughs> Royce Gracie up against Butterbean, you know, that dude had like a hundred pounds, you know, up against a per inch. Right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the, those, you know, great disparities and things like that. Now the UFC is, you know, kind of taking it to that level sure. of a worldwide sport by breaking up the weight classes and, you know, just, you know, those different things there too, to make it more competitive. Mm-hmm. Right. The early days of CrossFit, you know, you saw some of that same stuff. You know, uh, there were some really, really, really fit dudes. Yep. You know, um, going up against some guys that were just monsters. Oh yeah. You know, and just muscling out. Jason Khalifa is up against like you know the C.J. Martins and you know things like that, like that in those early days. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said, you know, the opportunity for you know CrossFit as a sport, I think too not only from, you know, kind of a worldwide level, you know, to get enough people in, make it really competitive, you know, yeah, you probably could go some weight classes or something like that, you know, maybe. Uh, it's always, like, amazing to see, like, a dude like Josh Bridges, you know, walk a freaking yoke of 600 pounds, right, <laughs> you know, across yeah. to finish and, and uh, sure. you know, beat some of these other guys out. That's amazing. True. Um, but you're not going to see him, you know, podium, at the mm-hmm. games, you know, just because he's going to get smoked, you know, by guys that have mm-hmm. a longer reach or, you know, a little bit more of, um, you know, reach and footing and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. But doesn't that, de- that's kind of getting to the point where it's almost like event dependent, right? Cause like, if yeah. you look at the, I think if you look at some of the data from the winners, mm-hmm. um, was it Fitzgerald, you know, local guy, James Fitzgerald. Yeah. What's up, James? Um, over at OPEX, OPEX took yep. the first uh, took the first games right right and he's I think the tallest guy at six foot right right everyone else is like five nine five yeah. eight you know yep. somewhere around in that range the women though seem a little bit taller mm-hmm. they seem to mm-hmm. be doing you know a little bit better than some of the shorter ladies but it seems like the events themselves are creating a type mm-hmm. of athlete that that prevails yeah through that challenge especially when you add up all those events and you get that five eight five nine guy in there. Like a froning, for example. Yeah. Well, you know, CrossFit is is about that, right? It's always like uh, mixing up the um, the the unknown, yeah, right, for an event. So you can't really totally typecast 
someone if they got if they you know have a great motor right they're gonna be great on a on a chipper type wide mm-hmm. right uh, if they're a freaking beast you know like Matt Frazier you know that's just freaking super animal. strong uh, but has developed you know their motor and that's kind of the thing there too like they're trying to take that you know almost you know create a Captain America super soldier or something like that you know with all these different variations and very vari- and variables. Uh, to see, you know, who's going to come out, you know, on, on top. Mm-hmm. I just went off on a total tangent there. <laughs> that made sense to me. I mean, it, it seems like it seems like the games are producing, based on results, it seems like the games are producing a favorable type of athlete to go in in the first place, right? So, yeah. like, if you're, if you're built like a Froning or a Frazier, you know, chances are if you train properly and you've got some genetic gifts, mm-hmm. right, and some stick that you're going to do pretty well. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you come in way shorter or way taller, mm-hmm. probably not going to do well. Yeah. You got to be like, you know, just enough just in the middle, yeah. right? The ideal human. Right? Yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, to, you know, really kind of make it out there and whatnot. But, you know, I, I think, like I said, this, I would like to see, you know, the sport, you know, really kind of, you know, grow as a whole there. Because, you know, just just seeing some different representation across weight classes. Mm. Right. Because weight is kind of an equalizer. Right. If you're, you know, breaking down within like 15 pounds or so, you know, you can see, you know, some variations and, you know, be okay either pound for pound stronger Mm -hmm. or faster. Like, okay, which is going to be your wheelhouse to kind of work work within. Right. And um, get some growth out that way. I think you'll see more opportunities for people to be like, okay, you know, this dude, he's about my size and height. Mm-hmm. You know, I can do that. Yeah, I'm not gonna be no motherfucking <laughs> Matt Frazier. That ain't happening. <laughs> that is just not happening, right? Uh, too funny. Yeah. yeah, you know, and maybe I'd say age class, maybe you know. But I mean, yeah, okay. So they do have that going on with the the ages, right? Age so groups, you got yeah. the masters and things like that because yeah, you know, just fundamentally speaking, mm-hmm. you know, there's things that go on with the anatomy and your endocrine system. You know, they just ain't going to produce the amount of testosterone needed, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. To beat a 20-year-old. Yeah, exactly. This ain't happening. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think the only problem really is in the def- definition, right? Because, like, mm-hmm. you, when you... What sport? You know, yeah, because when you, when you, you know, when you went off and, and you named those sports, right? Like, if you're competing in martial arts, you know, there's a definitive definition of, of what it takes to win. If you're competing in powerlifting, there's a definitive definition of what it takes to win. You either lifted the bar or you didn't. Right. You either hit parallel or you didn't. Right. Right. And in those cases, it doesn't matter what the athlete looks like or shows up like. It's just, mm-hmm. did they do the work? Mm-hmm. So if they're only, if they're calling fittest on earth and they're calling this, you know, the definition of work, right? Or definition of power, basically work over time. Mm-hmm. Then I think that's the only thing I take issue with because at the end of the day, someone could technically do more work. And this is probably, I probably thought about this more than someone probably should, yeah. but Someone could technically do more work and still lose the games. Well, yeah, that that's like really, that's really weird. That's really deep, though. <laughs> I mean, like, say, you know, because, yeah, if you're talking about, like, say, again, the variation of someone that is just taller versus someone that's shorter. Sure. Range of motion and all that stuff, you know, height of the bar being raised and all that stuff. Yeah. Taller person is, you know, if you break it down to the, the wattage the and physics you know, of it, yeah. the physics of it, of power being produced, mm, it's arguable. It's arguable. Mm-hmm. I think it'd be cool to have it measurable. Imagine that well, scenario. Yeah. Right. It, it, yeah. It, 
Yeah, that's getting way like deep. Going into, your, <laughs> going into your sensor conversation, we were having, was right. it off mic? I don't remember now. But you're talking about, you know, being able to measure reps. Yeah. What if you could not only measure reps, but measure the distance, right? People were moving mm. those reps. Okay. Then you got your work and your power right there. But yeah. then, but then, that, then you come into that place where like, yeah. the tall guy could go slower and still win. So if we base it on power. Power output. Did some short dude just beat you in? <laughs> <laughs> short dudes beat me in everything, man. <laughs> yeah. Now the measure yeah, of sport, though. I mean, just kind of get back to that. The the measurement of the <laughs> of the sport itself. I mean, really, you know, it's about who, who crosses the finish. Yo, if you want to talk height and all that, Usain Bolt. Oh, for sure. Look he's at a, like, he's a freak. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. Running. Just heels never touch the ground. Six six and you know. Racing against, uh, you know, in, in, in the sprint, that was predominantly like mm-hmm. a short man's game. Right. It was all about power off the start. Yep. Yeah. Because everyone pretty much had the same top speed. Yeah. But then he comes in with those eight foot legs. Right. And he's taking the same amount of steps. Right. Or no, excuse me. Actually, it, he's taking fewer, fewer steps. Fewer steps. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think his average is uh, probably about four steps. Uh, I think it was four or six steps just you know, fewer. Yeah. Just watching him next. watching him move is amazing. Have you mm-hmm. seen him run in slow motion? Yeah. It's amazing, man. Yeah. It's so effortless. It's like a freaking cheetah antelope or something. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know how to describe <laughs> like it. Like I like I said. But you know, you're gonna have those anomalies and those uh uh just just variations across any type of sport, oh, you yeah. know, whatsoever. Every human is different. Yeah. Yep. I think like I said, you know, just kinda getting back to it. You know, and, and it's CrossFit a, a sport that can truly be measured. Yeah, you, you're mm-hmm. measuring reps. You know, right. you're you're measuring uh, weight lifted. You're measuring you know time that you have to you know get a specific you know workout done. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's you know a skill mm-hmm. to do that efficiently, sure. and quickly. Right, it's a skill to be able to run. You know, at that high level you know, with great form and whatnot. You know, my son ran track and he had his arms going out side to side, you know, dispersing energy, right. you know, out to the side instead of straight, straight forward, ahead, yeah. right? So it's it's a skill set to be able to, you know, learn different movements and things like that, you know, to be able to be the first one done, mm-hmm. right? To be able to do it, you know, as fast as possible, as efficiently as possible. So what was your final verdict, though, on the on the bodybuilding as a sport? Because that's one of those sports where... You well, do all your work, <laughs> you do all your work, right? Yeah. And nobody, nobody's there to see you do it, right? Like you're doing all this yeah. work, you put in and all this time, right? And then you show up to just show off for one, one afternoon or one morning or whatever the thing is. And that's it, right? What's, uh, so what's your verdict? What'd you yeah. come to on that? I, I'm just going to chalk bodybuilding up as to uh, one of those great cult sports. Because <laughs> you got like, you know, you got your followers that's, that's doing it and whatnot. And there's very few people that are doing it, you know, and, like I said, yeah, it, it, it is, there's some skill involved in being able to, you know, lift weights um, to shape and define muscles, you know, differently. Like there's a lot of. A hundred percent. Yeah. You know, knowledge. It's not even debatable. That yeah. has to go into that. And, you know, to be able to, you know, control your diet and all that stuff there. Um, there there's a lot of skill in that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and a lot of discipline, right? Yeah. A, oh. lot of, a lot of mindset piece comes yeah. into that. You yeah, know? I just don't have that discipline. Tremendous yeah, discipline. I, I love my beer. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, just, you know, as, as a sport, it is something that has always kind of per- 
perplexed me a little bit because like say when I was doing powerlifting, you know, you put the weight up or you didn't, right. you know, running, you crossed the finish line first or you didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, the subjectiveness of is that guy harder than this dude? Like if you take two people that have the same amount of body fat, same amount of muscle mass, mm-hmm. you know, one's just going to be shaped differently than the other. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just a subjective eye thing. Right. It's competition in sport. Mm. Tough call. Yeah, that, yeah, that's tough. What about e-games, man? You see these e-games. kids, yeah, making, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I think Fortnite just did a competition where some kid won seven figures playing Fortnite or something like that, six or seven figures playing and a video game. they throwing out scholarships for that now, college scholarships yeah. for that now. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. That is crazy. So how, how do we old school guys, how are we thinking about these e-games, man? Oh, What's man. your word on that? I can't, th- I can't even call it. <laughs> I can't even call it. Oh, uh, yeah, because, you know, that was something – put the video games up, you know, go, go do something that is going to be productive for you. Right. Mm. Go do your homework. That's what I heard every day. I was just trying to play super Mario brothers. Yeah. And now you like, man, I could have, I should have stayed playing that. I could have got a (laughs) college scholarship, (laughs) you know, something like that. Yeah. That's crazy to me. Um, the evolution of that though. So I did have a doctor that I trained and his son was real big into, you know, video games or whatever, too. But, you know, he also balanced him into, you know, his academics or what have you. But um, he would bring him in and, you know, have him, you know, kind of play around with some of the, the robotic machines and things like that to manipulate some of the um, surgical arms. Oh, yeah. And he excelled at it. Right. Right. That was his transferable skill from, you know, gaming. Mm-hmm. Um, drones. Oh, yeah. That's all, you know, transferable skills from, you know, gaming and stuff. So... Does it have some application, you know, some utility? Is it a skill set that can actually do something for you? Mm, I got to argue, yeah, the facts are there. Yeah, I feel the same way, man. It's kind of like watching one of these old school guys that's been working like a bucket loader his entire life pick up mm-hmm. a quarter, you know? Yeah, with, yeah, With exactly. the hand controls, you know, <laughs> on this big-ass machine. Yep. He's like, I'll pick up that quarter over there, Yep. you know? Mm-hmm. But, yeah, for sure. So um, I know one of the things that you're super passionate about is, uh, you know, people owning their shit, as you said, right? Yeah. So talk to me about what you mean by that and how it impacts someone's life. Yeah, so I think a lot of times, you know, folks will look outside of themselves Mm -hmm. for a solution, right? Uh, I saw this a lot, uh, you know, in the supplement industry when I was working in vitamin world, you know, folks coming in looking for a vitamin to help with X, Y, and Z, right? Supplements are just supplements, they only enhance what you are already doing. If you ain't doing nothing, it ain't going to do nothing for you, <laughs> right? So it's only enhancing, you know, what is um, already there. It's just a supplement. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to people just owning their sh- shit, can, am I okay? Man? You're perfectly All okay, right. man. You be you. When it comes to people just owning their shit, um, whether it's, you know, I got the job or I didn't, um, if it's, you know, I won first place or second place or whatever, you know, the, the, the mentality there just really needs to be placed upon some self-ownership mm-hmm. of did I work hard enough to achieve that? Now, sometimes, sometimes there are some cases that, you know, you're going to be dealt a bad hand. First time I experienced, uh, you know, some like serious straight up like racism was in the military. You know, I got passed over for promotion against somebody that I know I was a better soldier. I was a expert marksman. You know, you couldn't beat me in no PT. Forget about it. <laughs> uh, 
my uniform was always squared away. And when it came down to the facts and stuff, like on what we needed to present in front of the board, mm. I got you. Mm. And when I lost out to, you know, some other specialist that was a female, you know, and not getting sexist or anything like that, but her uniform was crap. Uh, she was a, could barely hit a target and could barely pass her PT test. But she was female. And it was a black white thing, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I had also called out some of my commanders on some stuff that they were, you know, doing that wasn't uh, kosher, yeah. right? That'll definitely put you over the edge for sure. Yeah, that, that one did it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Too funny. But, you know, there, there are going to be some outline, you know, cases there. But even in that, you know, I still kept it moving mm-hmm. and, um, you know, got my, my just due. You know, you have to look at things situationally and see what is it that I can own and what is it that I can affect and what is it that I can change. Right. Right. And there, every, everything's not going to always be in your favor. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody ain't always for you. Right. But if you fall victim to, well, it's because of X, Y, Z, you know, just fill in the blank, you'll always be in that spot. Right. Right. If I fell victim to that, I would still be in that spot. Mm-hmm. You know, I wouldn't have, um, you know, overcame the obstacles that I needed to overcome. Right. Um, and, you know, I think it was that Ryan Holiday says obstacle is a way. That's it, baby. You know, sometimes like uh, just the, the you got to face those challenges mm-hmm. like this. I don't know if we, we talked about this earlier in the podcast or this is off offline here or whatever. But this whole, you know, everybody gets a trophy crap <laughs> that's going on right now with your the kids and everything, you know, I think that is just totally doing our society a disservice. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I'm curious about that situation though, where you, where you felt like you got passed over, you know, what was you, what was going through your head at that, at that moment, like emotionally, were you, were you upset about it? And if so, oh, like, hell yeah. how did you deal with it? Like, cause you know, a lot of people, you said, you don't, you don't want to be a victim to that. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, cause, mm-hmm. cause unfair shit is going to happen. Mm-hmm. That's just life. Right. Yeah. No matter who you are, you're going to face something that is just, let patently wrong, right? right. On, one, on some way, shape, or form. Right. But if you fall into that emotional spiral and you create the story that you know, no matter what I do, you know, am I going to get what I need or what I want to create? Mm-hmm. You fall into that victimhood, right? So how do you go from anger to saying, you know what, it is what it is, and you know what, I got, I still got work to do, so let me get busy. Yeah. You know, for me, um, I don't know where I, I kind of held on this for a while. I don't. I don't really know where I came from, but I always use like, you know, the, the pain and the hurt and whatever is kind of fuel, mm-hmm. you know, I'm gonna get you sucker. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, for, for me, that was something that, um, I, I just wasn't going to take no lying down, you know, or anything like that, you know, as, as the answer. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I knew I was better than that. Right. right? It, it, I think, you know, it's kind of like the self-talk, you know, you kind of have to really know, you know, your value, sometimes like this whole that whole gym thing you know that was going on like I I can't deal in situations where um, stuff ain't going on right people don't you know really know or appreciate your value Mm. right and so if it's a point in time to where again it's about what I can control and what I can change if I'm doing everything possible you know maybe I give it three four five strikes Maybe, I don't know, I'm just throwing out a number. But if I'm doing everything possible to improve my value and show improve my value and you're still not getting it, then who's the fool? 
Right, right. Right. At that point in time, I got to make a decision on, you know, whether this relationship works or not. Mm-hmm. And for if it's sport, if it's work, if it's, you know, uh, significant other, or whatever the case may be, right? You know, there's certain things that you can work through. There's certain things that you can't, you know, and you just kind of figure out, all right, these are the things that are definites for me. Mm-hmm. And if you're not on that level, okay, who's a fool? Yeah, it sounds, it's, it's almost like a, a, it's more about honoring yourself then. Yeah. And then worrying about other people. Got to own your shit. Yeah. <laughs> I love that, man. So um, talk to me a little bit about your podcast, man. I know mm-hmm. that you've got uh, a few episodes in the can. You've got some out online. And yeah. uh, I know you have a mission and a purpose behind this. So share that with us, man. Yeah, Fit Focus um, has kind of been like a, that whole lifetime journey, right? <laughs> it, it's uh, just really about, you know, showing people how to, you know, improve their lives. Um, giving some tips, some tricks, you know, some different inspirational stories from other people that have, you know, gone through, you know, some things, uh, different challenges and, you know, maybe the physical, mental, spiritual, emotional, or, you know, some business realm, some social economical stuff. Uh, so really just taking, you know, some of those, um, stories from people that I kind of find that are just regular Joes Mm -hmm. and just doing some, you know, pretty cool stuff. You know, um, either either they have overcome some things or they're just doing some things that are, you know, really kind of out of the ordinary right now for or maybe perceived out of the ordinary. But uh, just some things that, you know, can inspire folks. Beautiful, beautiful. And so what do you want to achieve with that? Yeah. So uh, the whole fitness journey before for me, and it seems like this is kind of coming around full circle. <laughs> right. When I first got started, I wanted to influence a million people. When um, I was, uh, you know, training and doing the whole bodybuilding thing, you know, the goal was to get to Hollywood, train with Charles Glass, and, you know, then start training uh, actors and actresses and, you know, work my influence that way. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, went a different path. But now it's just kind of coming back around to where, you know, with all the tools that we have at our disposal now, with being able to just meet people and pop up and have a conversation that maybe I can pull something out that'll impact a person or two trying to get to a million people that way. Beautiful. Beautiful. So you're back to that original why, man, like you said, full circle. Back to it. Yep. So tell me, man, at this point in your life, what does success look like for you? Yeah. If I can impact a person. Mm. Um, I didn't wear it today here, but I have another little band that I got from uh, my homie, Sean Trice, uh, church in DC, um, I five. And, uh, it has on a very impactful purpose. Mm. Pretty much wear it every day. Right. It's just a reminder there that um, I, I just want to have a very impactful purpose um, pretty much with if I can, you know, everybody I meet. But, you know, if I can just impact one person a day. Cool. Awesome, man. So um, tell everyone where they can get in touch with you online. Yeah. So I'm not all over the place. <laughs> I'm uh, like I said, I've kind of been in the ghost in the shell there for a little bit. So um, two Instagram pages, uh, Fit Focus Podcast. You know, that's the best place. Um, link to my other Instagram page, James Allen one. That's just my personal stuff that, you know, I just throw up the fit focus one is, um, where I put up a lot of the podcast links and, you know, just some different tools and, and tips for folks and that, uh, that's on that fitness journey, uh, fit folks podcast on Facebook and James Allen on Facebook. Awesome, man. I'll get all that linked up in the show notes. And my last question is always the same. And that is simply what does wellness mean to you? Wellness to me, it's just 
you know, being at peace with yourself. Mm. Um, I mean, this might be a little deeper than you wanted to go with it, but we got a lot of stuff going on right now with like mental health awareness. Right. And, um, a lot of times, uh, it's tracked down to like two things, you know, anxiety or depression. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have some of the other, you know, strands along that, but for the one out of every four people, uh, that's walking around, this is a NAMI stat national Alliance of mental health Institute, uh, says that one out of every four people suffer from some form of mental illness. And usually it's like anxiety and depression, you know, mm-hmm. two of the big ones. And anxiety is all about worrying about what's happening in the future and depression. Usually you're worrying about, you know, stuff that's you just caught up in the past. You can't ever get over it and stuff like that. So you stay stuck. Mm-hmm. So wellness is really people just, you know, being at peace with what's happening right here, right now. Mm. Well said, my friend. Yeah. And with that, guys. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, man. Thank you very much. I appreciate you, man. I appreciate appreciate you as well. Thanks for sharing your story. Yeah. Guys, if you haven't haven't, uh, checked out James online, be sure and do that. Be sure and check out his podcast called Fit Focus. I believe it's with two Ts, if I remember correctly. We'll get everything linked up here in the show notes. And until then, guys, Jason Archer on behalf of James Allen signing off. See you in the next episode of Hardwater Radio. All right. Thanks, Jason. That's going to do it for this episode of Hardwater Radio, guys. As always, thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you guys. And if you're vibing on this content, be sure and help us grow the tribe by liking, sharing, subscribing. And by all means, leave us a comment on your favorite podcatcher. Let us know what you like, what you dislike. And if you are someone out there who would like to tell your story, we are a collector of stories here. Shoot me a message, jason at hardwater.com or pick me up on social media. Uh, Facebook, Instagram, whatever works for you. And I'd love to have that conversation with you guys. Until then, this is Jason Archer signing off, reminding you to remember your future.